If you've swung a golf club at any point in your lifetime, you've recognized it's one of the most difficult things to do, whether it's at the tee box, the driving range, heck, it could even be a putt-putt green. But what you recognize quickly is it takes talent and a lot of repetition. We got an opportunity today to catch up with PGA Pro golfer Tyler McCumber while he was in Denver, Colorado, rehabbing his shoulder. Takeaways from today were a couple of things. He's got some great stories from the greens, some that you guys are really going to enjoy. He's also got a great philanthropy that he gives back to and gives us his current take on the LIV Tour and its positive impacts on the PGA Tour. I hope you guys enjoy this interview as much as we did. It was an awesome time sitting down with Tyler today. Welcome to the One More Podcast. Our guest today is Tyler McCumber, PGA Golf Tour player, University of Florida graduate, and Jacksonville's very own. We're very excited to have him on the show today. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Again, thanks for being here. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, looking forward to it, Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. So he's joining us all the way from Denver today. Uh, and, and you may be wondering why he's in Denver. I, I, I'm understanding you're a pretty big snowboarder as well in the off season. I do enjoy snowboarding. I do. Uh, unfortunately, I'm here for other reasons right now, but uh, maybe a bit more uh, relevant to my career. Um, but yep, it's nice to be doing it out here in the mountains. Yeah, and I understand you're rehabbing a little bit right now, so it's kind of out there, just kind of taking it all in and living that mountain yep. life, and uh, looking forward to to you know getting back on tour here rather quickly. Yeah, definitely, definitely looking back to getting to uh, competing. Yeah, well, we're, we're looking forward to that as well. So let's take a let's take a brief moment here to talk about you know. As a golfer, as a professional golfer, you know, I often wonder, like, do do you grow up with a golf club in your hand? And what age does this start uh, when you start playing? You know, you hear these stories of two years old. You've seen the you've seen some of the other players. They have clips of it. But when did you start picking this game up? Right. Um, I'm sure I have some pictures around <laughs> kid with golf clubs, given my uh, my family's uh, past involvement with the with the sport. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say most of my started pretty young um i obviously was familiar with it around it um i didn't start playing uh regularly until i was a little bit older um around 12 12 13 um uh, but yeah obviously around the sport i'm sure i got some pictures of clubs in my hands <laughs> so there's hope for someone like me you know i, I you know you did start there's with two years hope. old there's always hope you know um and, and for our audience as i don't know you know your father Mark McCumber as uh as has a rather rather very prolific golf history as well, and so I always ask like, did you grow up? This was there pressure to be like dad, or or did you just aspire to say, you know what, I want to be like dad? Yeah, um, it, it's it's funny. Obviously, the situation I grew up in, I get that question uh, quite often. I, um, I would say I was not pushed by anyone to play golf. Uh, you know, it was a decision that I sort of came to on my own. Um, was playing all the other sports. Uh, most of my friends were all playing baseball, uh, just kind of running around the neighborhood being a kid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say that he never really pushed it, but once I showed interest and uh, he got involved and obviously helped me learn a lot of the fundamentals I know about the game and how to play it to this day. Well, I think it's incredible. Probably the best teacher you could have had and uh, a great example as well. And uh, I, I always I always think back to, um, you know, you, you see these videos of like Peyton Manning with a ball in his hand when he's two or Tiger, you know, swinging that club when he was younger. But I also look at, you know, 
if there's hope picking it up when you're 12 years old, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I started this game when I was 30 years old. There's zero chance of hope. Um, it's more of a frustration than it is a, than it is a game at this point. But uh, that's that's good to hear. You know, I always wonder as a golfer, have you ever seen Charles Barkley swing? Uh, I try not to watch. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to wonder, yeah, is I've that fixable? That <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's always an interesting one. So traveling back down uh, memory lane a little bit here at UF, you know, uh, you did you did uh, your college collegiate career, career at UF. And while you were there, um, you know, I know golf, the game of golf has really just exploded in the last 10 years. The popularity, um, social media has helped tremendously, and just the personality of the players has really shown out in the sport. Uh, things that are happening now you would never see in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, on campus, did you did you feel like you were that well-known as a golfer on campus? People would go, oh, that's Tyler McCumber. Or, or was it like you were still kind of like in the shadows playing golf for the University of Florida? Well, Quentin, you got to look at the timeline that I went to Florida. <laughs> I got there in 2009, which I think we're all familiar with that, that football team. We yes. Had, uh, Riley yes. Cooper, Tim Tebow, <laughs> the Pouncey. We had everyone in, you can imagine. So I don't think anyone was relevant on campus other than that football team and basketball team. You so, know, it's uh, <laughs> that is an unfair year to ask that question. You're right. And yeah. I think for me, you know – and. Th- in the pregame we had before the conversation here, we didn't talk about this, but uh, this is rivalry week for the two of us. Uh, I graduated University of Tennessee. You're a Gator. Uh, you've had much better years here than I have, um, but this is uh, it's interesting. You said that 2009 year, I was at that game, and I'm, I cringed immediately. Um, well, that was that uh, Eric Berry Tim Tebow collision that happened out there, and uh, oh, you guys, yeah. you guys yeah. won on the other side of that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, those the, you you had to be there during the glory years. I mean, you had basketball and football during that time, dominating. I got yeah, tail end of the basketball, tail end of the football, but uh, and then obviously dropped off relatively quick there. Basketball was slower, but football dropped off quick. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was an exciting time to be a part of uh, Gator Nation. Yeah. I couldn't imagine sure. that sounds yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. And for the record, and I'll say this, Sarah, if any of my children get the opportunity to go to the university of Florida, I'll be the biggest Gator dad you've ever seen in your life. So, you know, it's a great <laughs> school and uh, I definitely think very highly of that university, even during rivalry week. So, um, you, you know, as as you kind of left your career at the University of Florida and you migrated into the into the tour and you had multiple stops inside that tour, what what do you think was probably one of the more like exciting moments of your career early on? Like, what was one of the more defining moments when you're like, man, I'm doing this? Um, I mean, just teeing it up for the first time for cash was <laughs> was awesome. Um, and people. You know, people ask a lot about sort of what golf means to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, it's a it's a fluid situation where you know when I was a, when I was a kid, I it was just a, a way to hang out with friends. You know, uh, burn time until dark, um, and then you know later in high school became a bit more of a grind. I was a bit more focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start training um, maybe with a goal in mind of going to college, winning an amateur event, um, and then sort of you know, another, another transition is towards the end of college, you know, when you're looking forward to playing professionally, uh, if that's what you choose to do, um, that was something I sort of had in mind the whole time. Um, so I was very, to say the least, very excited and anxious to tee it up in my first professional event and, and make a check. So, uh, Man, you know, I just, I enjoyed every stage. Um, and that was obviously a new one, a new frontier for me. Never, never played for money on a golf course. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that was that was exciting in itself. I can't imagine. Now, it, you know, I always vision like you win a big check. Do you literally get a big check? Did they like hand you that to take photos? Like happy the big Gilmore check? style. Yeah, happy. It's exactly uh, what I'm thinking. 
they did that for a bit, I believe. I've never been handed one of those. Okay. Uh, if I have, it would make it for a photo, but never. Uh, I'm not throwing them in the trunk, you know, <laughs> uh, Adam Sandler style. But yeah, it would no, be. no doubt, no doubt. So you know, um, I, I often wonder. You know, I, I wasn't a golf fan in the '80s. Uh, I didn't have the patience for it to watch it, and I was also much younger. Um, and then in the 90s, same thing. But as I grew into the late 90s, I became more fond of the sport and super appreciative of it. And what I noticed during what little bit I remember to now is there's been this morphing of the athlete inside of golf. You look at the 80s and the 90s golf prototype. You look at today's prototype. And I asked myself this question, and I think I've heard announcers say it, but I think they're just kind of like talking. But is there is there a reason why we see so much more of an athletic trend, prototype body type wise of the golfer today than in the eighties and nineties? Does it add that much more to the game, or is it more of a lifestyle? I would say it's both, um, but okay. it's definitely added added to the game. Obviously, you had some early pioneers in the gym, Gary Player, um, some fit players. I don't think it was as common as it is today, uh, especially that late 90s early 2000s era where tiger started to put on some mass and you saw the advantage of the strength you know you saw him dominate at the majors when the rough is up uh you saw sort of that sustainability um i would say overall the shift in um being in better physical shape maybe stronger bigger healthier better um is all for sustainability our schedule is now you know through the year yeah um although they are changing that a bit um you know the last i'm not sure exactly how many seasons it's been but there used to be an off season you know i remember my dad would come home in the fall and um you know we would all hang out and i do recall functions that. and stuff that doesn't that doesn't exist as of now and so and it hasn't for the last few years so i think when people realize oh, i have to play you know year round i don't mm-hmm. really get that time off um they realize being in better shape better taking care of themselves i think produce more consistent results no, that's a good way of looking at it. You know, I, I yeah. definitely, I definitely uh, can agree with that that off season and, and lack of. I always wonder, like, I turn on the TV, I'm like, golf's on every single day. Like, I don't remember this being a year round sport, but it is. And you know, the Golf Channel, and it's just, it's, it's everywhere now, and multiple tours too. So I think that you know, yeah. there's multiple coverage of it nonstop, and there's such a, um, there's such an, uh, a demand in the sport now because of the awareness. There's so much more competition. It feels like, and there's always someone that feels like they're chasing or aspiring to get to the highest level and get on tour. So it's almost like, you know, someone's behind you and you got to keep going. Is that, is that something you kind of see as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once someone, once a player raises the bar, um, whether it's you or them, you know, obviously everyone kind of has to do it to keep up. Mm -hmm. And that's something, you know, for me, I think I'm a bit partisan to sort of that early 2000 era, because that's kind of when I got into golf and was watching Tiger dominate. Um, and you know, some of the other players were obviously great players and highly competitive, but they couldn't keep up, you know, mm-hmm. distance strength. Um, it was limiting. Whereas nowadays you see, you look at the tour through the board, there's a lot of long hitters. There's a lot of strong yeah. guys. Um, and they sort of closed the gap on that separation from someone who wants to work out. So that makes yeah, sense. It definitely, definitely plays into it. So besides your father, what player did you aspire to? to be or who did you follow as like a um, someone you looked up to and wanted to be a part of in the game yeah growing up um i always loved sort of the the rhythm and uh 
what would be the word fluidity <laughs> um, of Retief Goosen, Ernie L's swings, okay. like the way they kind of went around the golf course. Um, that was sort of a, the era, you know, that I, the tail end of dad, they came in and those were the people I saw on the TV. I felt like the most, um, you know, Tiger, Retief, VJ, Ernie L's. Um, you know, I, I love watching Tiger compete. Uh, obviously he's, he's magical. He, he, uh, he just can turn it on when he needs it. Um, say a blend of those two. Okay. Yeah. We're, no, we're probably my favorite. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. Very cool. So speaking of that, what was the funniest pairing you've ever been a part of? No matter what tour it's on, but who, who's been one of the guys you're like this, this joker, I can't even swing. He's making me laugh so hard. Oh man. I would almost say it's the flip. It okay. was the irony of how funny I, to this day, I know Ben Crane is. <laughs> and I think we all have seen his videos. I, okay. You know, one of the the founders of, I, I believe, Golf Boys, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't he and Matt crew did the musical? But he's also funny on his own social media, his own accord. Um, I got paired with him, and I was excited. It's my one of my, uh, my brother-in-law's favorite players. Okay. Um, you know, and they were out at the tournament. It was Napa. It was one of my first events. I think it was before I was on tour. So maybe 18. Okay. Um, and I get paired with Ben Cram. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, he's going to be entertaining the whole day. Dude was the least funny human I have ever been with for four and a half hours. Wasn't mean, but was not funny. Just just straight serious <laughs> took, the entire time. He took a time. He didn't crack one joke. He was very serious. And I was like, this is Ben Crane, right? Is this like, is this his doppelganger or twin brother that like found it for the tournament? He's playing like Ben Crane. Um, but yeah, I would say that was the funniest because of the irony of how funny he is off the course and on the course was not at all. So just a complete switch, like, Hey, in the social media Wait and everywhere else joke, get on the yeah. course, just business. And you're like, Wait a minute, I'm expecting so much more and this is not happening. Very nice. Very polite, very supportive. But you got done and you cracked a joke. Nothing for the 18 holes. <laughs> that would yeah. be odd. That would be like, hey, I'm waiting on the punchline. Like, please say something. Yeah. Um, well, the opposite of that is who's the most intimidating pairing you've been with? Intimidating pairing. Um, I mean, it's hard not to reference sort of playing with Tiger in 20 at Torrey Pines on Saturday. Um I like to I like to admit that I power played him by showing up late to the tee <laughs> last one there, but uh, I actually had the tee time wrong, so uh, it wasn't intentional. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, it was like a twenty-one tee time, and I thought it was twenty-five. I showed up at like twenty. <laughs> no, like, we're being off in a minute. You're like, uh, great. Quick introductions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, I'd say that was the most uh, the atmosphere. Just was, the mass crowd following electric. him. Oh yeah, it was uh, a couple weeks right before sort of the pandemic hit and mm-hmm. the tour was, um, you know, impacted in regards to shutting down and, yeah. and making decisions. And so we had, I want to say, uh, there was a report that on the first hole, there was 20,000 people estimated watching, which obviously that's a gallery friendly course, right. not limited space, but, um, it was like nothing I've ever, ever experienced or, and or seen in person really. Wow. You know, I always yeah. ask myself, I'm like, I don't know how they don't hit anybody in that crowd and those lines when they're teeing off. It's just, there's a lot of confidence, not in you guys, or excuse me, in you guys, but in that audience too. Like a lot of confidence oh, yeah. that you get, nothing's gonna, no one's gonna have the shanks and hit somebody over here. Um, 
So I heard a rumor that you were playing with Tyler, Tiger, excuse me, and you were you had a reverse mohawk at the time. I did. I had a mohawk. A mohawk. That's it. A mohawk. And I heard. I heard he he was uh he 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 said something about the mohawk, and then also referenced if I could do it, I would do it. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I see you laughing there. Yeah, it's um. I'm surprised that story's gotten out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh. So we got off of I want to say the 15th hole, mm-hmm. um, and it's been pretty focused. There's not a a ton of communicate. You know, it's the weekend right. and you, you're grinding. It's a it's a big course. You know, you're kind of saving your energy. Um, we get to the 15th green, and it was a. a, a it was first responder day. So oh, that's cool. we had a, a firefighter, um, tend the pin, which is a, you know, an American flag. Mm-hmm. You take off your hat, shake their hand before you, when you finish the whole march of the next team. Okay. So we were walking sort of in line. He's behind me and take off my hat and, and, and you know, thank him for his service, uh, and go to put my hat back on. And he does the same as we're walking away. He goes, what's that under your lid? <laughs> and, um, Sure enough, I, I took off my hat and I had this like nasty little little mullet that came down, but it was tied into a mohawk. In part, just because my naturally receding hair is the only haircut I could do at the time. And, um, and he goes, mm, "That's pretty cool. Is that what the kids are doing these days?" And I go, uh, "I don't know if I would claim that they're doing it. I think it takes more than one person to say that people are doing it. I seem to be the only one right now. I don't know if that's a good thing." And he goes, and he kind of like tapped me. He goes, "Well." He takes off his hat because if I had hair, because uh, I'd be there right, I'd be there to support you. I would do it too. So um, I think that kind of shows I, his personality a little bit, you know. Yeah, people kind of yeah, look at was, him, and neat. you know, you hear stories or you watched whatever, and you think something. He's always, uh, I've heard nothing but good stories like that, and uh, he's a pretty, pretty interesting guy. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, you know, and, and (laughs) I was going to ask you this one and I can't wait to hear this. Who is the biggest trash talker on the tour, whether it's locker room on the course, I've always wondered, like, you know, when I play with buddies, there's just, it's not stop chirping. And I know there's a, such a a more respectful manner in the game at your level, but I got to imagine there's still some, some ribbing going on out there. Yeah, that's, uh. That is a good question. I would say in competition, mm-hmm. um, I would say the majority of people kind of let their game try to do the trash talking. Like that you said, sense. it is it is a bit more of a, you know, cordial, uh, what's the word? Um, it's sort of a more of a respectful competitiveness in the atmosphere. Um, I would say most of the trash talking, witty, witty digs and stuff are kind of on the putting green, maybe post or after a tournament mm-hmm. um, or maybe in the locker room. Um, and it's kind of between your friends. Gotcha. I don't think there's just jabbing. Uh, but I mean, I would say that there's less and less of that. Okay. Uh, maybe right when I got out there, or even some of the guys I know that, you know, were out there 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, playing pranks on each other and stuff. Uh, you know, my good buddy out there is Sam Ryder. He's always, He's he's a pretty he's a pretty good trash talker. Some of the local guys actually, Vinny Cavello is a good trash talker. Um, you know, you have uh, Pat Perez would always throw in something there. Uh, you know, Charlie Hoffman. Um, just it, it kind of depends on who you're close with. I would yeah. say it was it's more of a friendly, thing more of a friendly circle. Then, like, yeah, almost like, like get under your buddies skin out there. 
yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's not like a, I would imagine, you know, the, the tournaments that I've been to, you've never seen anyone say something to jade another player while they're playing, you know. And uh, I often, you know, uh, I talk about that with my son and my daughter and my wife. And, uh, you know, my son, you know, he says, well, Dad, you know, I, I understand, but, well, you know, it's not like football or basketball. And I said, no, they're not carrying a metal club with them when you say something in football or basketball. I couldn't imagine Tosh talking to someone with, you know, 12 yeah. clubs in their bag. They can do some damage. You say the wrong thing, uh, like it or yeah, not. Yeah, a little repercussion. Yeah, that's little right. Repercussion. That's right. Or even if you took their clubs and accidentally threw them in a lake, you know, there's no telling what could happen there. But uh, I always thought that yeah. was interesting. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at www.boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. Something I think I know the answer to, but I don't always uh, I don't always want to assume. You guys get how many golf balls to finish around just out of curiosity? How many are you allowed in a tournament? How many uh, So like if you had like man, there's a rule into how many balls you can have, I'm unaware of it. Oh, I, really? I carry two sleeves. Yeah. Okay, so there is um, a rule. I always wonder because, like, why are some players? I had someone tell me, and this just shows my ignorance. Why is it sometimes they'll give a ball later, deeper in the in the final rounds to a kid or or to a, a patron, but they won't do it early on? Probably just because they have the ability to give away balls without worrying about running out. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> You know, if I give four balls away on the third hole, then it's a lot of pressure playing with two balls, you know, and <laughs> one gets stuffed up. It's funny. Someone asked me this the other day. I don't know why this is a hot topic, unless this is in, like, media right now. No, but, it's uh, not someone, at all. It's just right, – Someone asked me at PT. They go, how many balls can you carry in your bag? I'm like, man, I, I think you can carry as many as you want. I go, at some point, though, your, your caddy's going to pick up the bag and he's going to fire you. So <laughs> unless you want to be the most unpopular player on tour Understood. in the caddy community – Understood. I suggest you keep it under nine. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, the reason I asked was, you know, um, moral obligation. <laughs> my uh, my son, when he was younger at the at the TPC, uh, Heinrich Stenson gave him a ball. It was really cool. But prior to that, there was another player I'm not going to mention uh, came through and said, you know, I don't, I can't, you know, we're only allowed so many, and I didn't know what he meant by that. So that that's why I was wondering, like, we're only allowed so mm. many, and maybe it was just, maybe it's just, you know something he said just to kind of make the moment go by um yeah but, not aware of that rule okay well that makes sense then. yeah that totally makes sense so liv tour you know obviously a hot yep. topic it's out there um it's the new competitor to the market the flashy new item you know is this good for the game or is this is this a potential demise to the to the sport of golf if you may yeah, obviously that is a hot topic right now, um, and one that I've been 
a bit removed from because mm-hmm. I'd been out of the tour since the players last year. So I'm, you know, not in, entirely familiar with uh, everything that's going on day to day, just sort of what I hear and what I ask. But um, obviously it is something new, you know, um, and it is a competitor in the market. And all I can really speak to is sort of the changes it has influenced the tour to make, mm-hmm. um, which as a, you know, a current PJ tour player and, and what I've chose to play and stay on is, um, you know, have been positive uh, changes to the tour, you know, for the players. Um, and I would say sort of have the players back. Um, so from policy of what I'm familiar with, I'm not familiar with behind the scenes live policy mm-hmm. other than what, I hear, which is the same as you in the news. Um, you, you know, I can only really speak to what the tour has done because of them, and it's gotten better. So that's good. You know, so sounds like it's a win-win. You know, any the old adage "iron sharpens iron" uh, really yeah. shows up, and you know, competitors only make those around them better, whether you like it or not. You know, if I right. if I'm the only game in town, I'm probably going to sit back a little bit. But if I'm pushed another direction, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing for those around me and, uh, right. and the people that I'm with. So that's a, that's a good thing. You know, would you say that, um, would you say that it's fair that players be banned from PGA events specifically, um, you know, the big four that they're banned for life from that? Does that seem a little harsh that you're just going to say you're banned for life versus saying, well, we're going to back up and punt and reevaluate. Are you, when you mention the big four, are you speaking about the majors? Correct. Yes, sir. Right. Well, I think that's sort of been the hot topic in regards to the tour. Um, you know, doesn't make essentially fully make the call on the majors, is what right. I'm under the impression of. You that's know, obviously, separate, it's two separate organizations that mm-hmm. are having to collude with each other to make decisions. And there's a whole, you know, process to it in regards to having a strong field. Uh, World Golf rankings is obviously a big topic. Huge. Um, you know, I, I was I'm, I, I wasn't approached to go to live. Um, you know, they, I don't think they were looking for sort of the the demographic of where I fall out on the tour mm-hmm. at this moment. Um, you know, obviously looking at the top guys to to get those people that are uh, ranked high in the world. Um, and you know, not having been a top one of the top players over the last three four years. Um, I, they weren't knocking on my door right away. So, uh, and have not, so, you know, I have not been approached, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty layered. And I, I think, I do think that banning is sort of threatening verbiage, you know? Um, mm. but there is a lot of unknown, you right. know? So I understand both, you know, I understand Makes that sense. it's a bit hard. I understand that there's, protective mechanisms that are mm-hmm. sort of necessary to protect the business and a business model. And so, like I said, I'm not behind the scenes. I'm not making those decisions, I, um, but I am familiar with them. Um, and I, I do think it's layered. I think there's tiers of it, you know, from legal battles to just the ability to play in certain tournaments, um, being able to kind of cherry pick both tours. Right. Uh, there's a lot of different scenarios that are uh, on a, on a, sort of scale of unpopular to popular. You know, so. I kind of I kind of equate it in my head because I'm trying to break it down. And, you know, I was talking to my wife about it. And she was asking questions. And I thought, you know, it's almost like if the AFC never played the NFC, 
or if the MLB had the the American League never play the National League and they were two separate organizations and they didn't coexist. Um, I thought, you know, I thought from from an aspect, how strange would that be? And what would that be like? What would that do to stadiums? What would that do to fan bases? Um, and I wonder, in my mind, right, I think it's a question a lot of people are asking, is why can these two organizations not coexist and make a league out of that and almost mm-hmm. treat it such as AFC, NFC in that particular analogy? Yeah. No, it's a – I never thought about it in regards to the the football aspect, um, sort of that dynamic. Uh, golf is such a unique sport. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not seasonal. It's played year-round. Um, it's a worldwide, you know, pretty much worldwide, globally, um, a global-scale sport. Uh, you know, it's unique. Um, you have the individual contractor aspects, um, not playing for teams, but then mm-hmm. with Liv, you have that. It's a totally different structure, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. from the structure of the tournaments to the structure of your employment. to the stru- um, And I, I honestly don't, know where it's going um and i think anyone that says they do uh you know it's sort of created this uh it's sort of its own entity that's Mm going to take uh its form and it's kind of out of control uh you know of not out of control in a bad way but it's just who knows what it'll be in five years yeah i was gonna say 10 years down the road let's see how this thing turns out and what it looks like if it's even a thing anymore right even if it exists you know um go ahead yeah, I, I do know in regards to just sort of the climate of the only thing that I, I love being, um, you know, a patron and being a, a fan. Um, obviously, I chose to support the tour because um, that's what I'm playing. And that's sort of the that's where I've been the last, mm-hmm. you know, eight years, seven years as a professional. You know, I've been in the ranks of working my way to the tour. Um, but there is just obviously an overall climate of polarization in general. Um, not just in the golf community, political community mm-hmm. and, uh, between humans. And, you know, it's, it's a bummer to see it sort of come into sort of the sport world, into my world, into my career, you know, and uh, maybe that was inevitable, but I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, I just, I, you know, obviously working together is great. I know that that's very complicated, um, but I hate being, having to told to take sides, you know, um, cause I can see the benefits in a lot of this stuff, you know, I That's can see, a, I can already feel the benefits on the PJ tour policy wise that we've gained from it. So, you know, I like to try to keep my mind focused on those. Um, That's a really you know. good point. Yeah, that's such yeah. a good point we think of. You know, you talk about the divide in our country right now, and a lot of it yeah. driven by social media or, more importantly, you know, governmental divide right now and what's yeah. what's coming from that. You hate to see that, like you said, carry over into the sports world and your world at all, and I didn't even think of it like that. It's such a great point. Yeah. So there's some players that have lost some sponsorships going over there as well. Um, but, uh, you know, and then there's, there's just, you can see where the companies are also divided. Their allegiance lies with the tour and there's some sponsors that have pulled back. Um, you know, what's interesting to me is that companies would also take a stance on that. And I know why they're doing it. We don't have to get into that. Um, but mm-hmm. I thought that that was interesting. And, uh, you know, currently you're sponsored by Travis Matthews is one of your sponsors and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a great brand out there. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how, what was it like to get sponsored? How did that come about? Um, obviously through your agent, but how does it come about getting sponsored by one of the largest golf brands out there? Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty fortunate to have, 
obviously a great agent, Eddie mm-hmm. Smith, and a, and, a, and a great team behind me, you know, including those endorsements and sponsorships um, from equipment to, to clothing, soft goods, um, just to overall morale, you know, um, you create the relationships with these companies and they end up being, you know, more than a business relationship. Um, you know, obviously there is that common commonality between the two of you, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're reaching out, asking how I'm doing with therapy, you know, oh, that's uh, cool. a lot of offered, you know, help and support throughout the process. So, um, you know, it goes beyond just wearing Travis Matthew shirts. They're a great brand. Um, you know, I obviously love their, I love the product, but, um, I like sort of what they're, they're standing for, what they, uh, not only their aesthetic look, mm-hmm. um, the fact that I can go grab a beer after, you know, practice and you know, have a hard day of practice and go get tacos at Taco Lou and not feel like I'm, you know, all golfed up wearing yeah. my white golf shoes. But, um, which I'd probably be more, uh, blending in more if I did that in <laughs> Ponte Vedra. But, uh, probably. Yeah, no, I like what they stand for. They've been super supportive. Um, Everyone that, you know, business-wise I'm aligned with right now has been uh, really supportive. So That's fantastic. Great brand. And I think it's awesome to hear stories about, you know, coexisting together and then even simple things like calling, checking in on you, see how you're doing. Do they ever bring you into the the war room, the design room, and they're like, hey, how is this going to work on the golf course? Do you ever think, like, this is a great idea for a shoe, apparel line, hat? Do they bring you into that with some, like, ideologies to get your input into that? Yeah. Yeah. They That's do quite often cool. actually. Wow. Um, and, and even with, uh, you know, R and D of golf equipment, you know, I don't know the, the, you know, the technology behind it, but mm-hmm. I do know the playing aspect and what you, you know, maybe one out of a ball or one out of a club or, you know, maybe uh, a material that is better sweat resistant, um, and the fit, you know, they might, uh, Travis Matthew does your own fit, personalize your shirts, um, your insoles for their shoes, equator shoes. Um, so they're, there is a lot of behind the scenes work, um, but I think it's just to better their product for playability um, as, and as well as for us individually. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's awesome. They do that. I've always wondered that. Um, yeah. And you know, as we kind of like exit the LIV conversation, you know, what, what are your, what are your aspirations post rehab? I mean, obviously that's win, right? We talked about that, but you know, right. if you were to break down a comeback, you know, obviously there's steps, you just can't go out and you know, win everything the next day. There's 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 a there's a, a goal and there's a ladder in mind to get to the top. What's your plan post rehab to get to that next level? Well, obviously my number my number one goal right now, you, you did ask post rehab, but my number one goal is just to get healthy. Okay. You know, um, my shoulder, this is my second shoulder surgery. Um, the first one was prior to being fully exempt on the tour. So I wasn't able to take a medical for it. I had to just take a Leah absence essentially from the game, not being able to play or practice in PT. Um, and then after having it get its worse at the players, um, you know, literally subluxing and, and popping out in swing, mm. um, I tried to go the PT route uh, to avoid uh, surgery, and that didn't get it to where it needed to be. So thus, then having to get surgery where I'm going with this is that my, my main goal is to get healthy. You know, I, I, I can appreciate that. I've been lucky. I, you know, I'm in, I'm in good shape and I've been able to play, but I haven't been able to practice and play as much as I would like to regularly because of the sort of mitigation of this getting bad mm-hmm. and, um, and getting worse. And essentially, you know, what it is, is, is my ligaments. Um, I've had damage to my shoulder. It wasn't one particular injury, but genetically, my my shoulders have very elastic ligaments, 
um, having dislocated it, having used it for every sport, golf my whole life, surfing, mountain biking, very yeah, shoulder swimming. Worked. <laughs> um, yeah, very shoulder prone activities. Um, it gets worked. It stretches out combined with those injuries of dislocation. There's no primary stabilizer in there. So essentially these other muscles come in to stabilize your track, your mm-hmm. lat, your whatever they are, and they get fatigued and get, um, uh, tendonitis, right. you, know, you get tendonitis in your, and everything else. And so essentially you kind of have something that's operable, but not sustainable, you know? Gotcha. And so I got four anchors put in the back there and you know, this shoulder is not going anywhere <laughs> unless you put me on one of those medieval torture stretchers. I'm probably going to be good. Uh, but yeah, number one goal is to get healthy and then come back. Uh, you know, I'm able to work a little bit on the mental stuff. Um, right now, visualization, mental toughness, maybe a bit of strategy and schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, I'm just really staying in the moment and getting healthy. Good for you. Well, the one thing I know, um, they labeled you as one of golf's toughest guys. And, uh, I know that, uh, with that label that, uh, we're going to talk about that for just one second, but with that label, you'll be able to make this comeback and get back priority number one rehabbed, ready to go. But let's talk about this toughest guy label that I, I was talking to you earlier about that I read and you, you made a really yeah. funny joke about that. But, uh, you know, this is, this, the, the irony behind the, the headline is actually what happened. Do you mind describing that for just a moment? Yeah, so it was at uh, it was at Riviera, the Genesis Invitational, um, and uh, two years ago, and I had a uh, man. I was staying in an older hotel um, in Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and there were two windows, and I was going uh, going to close uh, open before I left because they didn't have AC. Um, you know, I wanted the room to kind of get an ocean breeze, so I went to open the window. It didn't move very easily, so I had to. I had to really put my back into it, opened it, went to the next window thinking it was the same setup. And that thing was on WD-40 like the day before, <laughs> you know? And I went to I went to open it with the same force as the previous one. And my the my finger, um, basically the seal, the seal of the window went like this. And this oh. whole thing now was just hanging like that. Oh. Whole nail bed, everything. So I kind of patted it down, wrapped it up after almost throwing up, I go straight to the course. This is on Wednesday. And, um, fortunately the, they always have a medic on site. Okay. Um, you know, a a medical doctor on site for emergencies and stuff. And, uh, he happened to be a hand surgeon, Dr. Modaber. What's the odds? And, um, I go, man, I, this is obviously pretty bad. I don't know if I can get it to, I want to play, you know, um, doesn't look like it's really doable right now. And he did the surgery, took it all. I have it on video, took it all off, um, sewed the nail bed, which was attached back in there. So I just had a, a nasty nail bed and no nail. Yeah. And he goes, you probably won't get a nail. Yeah. Probably won't grow back. Odds are you won't. You must have a little stub. Yep. And it grew back. Okay. I got a couple, it's all messed up. I got a couple nails, but, uh, I wrapped it up. It was dripping in blood played. I was, I think I was leading or in definitely top three after two rounds, but. Obviously, yeah. I had a set of metaphene wore off on the weekend. <laughs> I didn't play. I didn't play worth, worth anything. Well, but, you um, said they did that on the ninth hole. They did that surgery on the ninth hole. Yeah, right to the right of the <laughs> the right of the ninth fairway. Yeah, that's incredible, Charlie. You're going to, have to pull this photo up. I saw it online. He's in a swing. Oh, yeah. You just finished oh, yeah. the swing, and you see the blood coming down the coming down the golf club as he's playing this tournament. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I did a little first round interview and, uh, I had my hand on the side. I, I, I had to cut my glove 
because you can't take your glove off of right. the wrapping. And uh, so the gauze that was wrapped around <laughs> in the tape was just full of blood dripping while I was doing the interview to the side all on the floor. What is going on? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Things numb by now. So you know what I say to that? When people say golf is not a physical sport, I dare to challenge them with this commentary right here. Because, uh, you know, surgeries, cut fingers, fingernails gone, and you're still playing. Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty incredible. It speaks to your toughness. You know, Tyler, I just want to say you know, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing your stories. Uh, it's great having you on the show. And uh, I just can't say thank you enough. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Quentin. It was fun spending the day. And, uh, Wish you all the best with the podcast and lucky to be on here. And yeah, absolutely. And good luck with the rehab. Charlie, you want to say a few words before we go? Um, yeah, just real quick, Tyler, my man. So good to have you. Um, you are part of a nonprofit organization. Um, can you talk a little bit about that before you go? Yeah, great point. Yeah, I've been um, the one I've been the most fully involved with is, is uh, One Wave. Uh, one Wave is all it takes. Um, I can find the Maybe y'all can pull up the exact uh, mm-hmm. the web address if someone wants to visit. They do have social media handles, one way. Um, but yeah, it's it's basically saltwater therapy mixed with fluoro therapy um, for uh, in surfing uh, for mental health, mental health awareness, uh, mental health, mental health outreach. Um, sort of a platform to be able to seek help on sort of the full spectrum from from just getting encouragement through your peers, through your community. And, and or if you want to seek uh, professional help and counseling, will so um, that's send something me some that, links later. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll text them, yeah. you. What a great. Um, the other is is Gnome Surf Project, which is actually um, aligned a lot with One Wave. Similar okay. stuff. Um, they use art therapy, yoga, eco therapy experiences, the ocean um, to reach sort of uh, um, you know all all sorts of people, all demographics um, for mental health uh, and well being. So. That's, um, that's those are the two main ones I've been involved in. Okay. Uh, one way we actually started a chapter in Jack's. Um, been a little busy the last year, so it's been tough. But my sister Megan um, and Addie and my entire family, Charlie as well, has been very supportive of that. That's great. Had a bit of traction. Um, but yeah, that's sort of where uh, my involvement has gone uh, off the golf course. That's great. So one wave and surf gnome. Two charitable organizations. Hey, again, thank you for being on the show today, Tyler. Toughest man in golf, but also just a genuine person. Uh, Thank you for sharing your stories today, and uh, we look forward to you getting you know healthy and back on the course. We'll be cheering you on here from uh, from the What's Your One More podcast. Thank you again. Thanks, Quentin. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. One more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. Man, and when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.